Which is more intimate? Which is closer? God dwelling in you or you standing in heaven seeing God? Standing in heaven and seeing God is a pretty cool thing. We're going to look at that. But God lives in you now. And that has to be embraced. Amen? Amen. So, Hebrews 9.11 But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. So, not made with hands. This is um, a fancy Greek word. I gave it to you in the Greek, and I gave you the transcription there. Kairopoteos. <laughs> um, uh, handmade. Handmade. Not made with hands. Handmade. Same thing, right? It's not handmade. The tabernacle of Moses was handmade. The tabernacle of David was handmade. Solomon's temple was handmade. The second temple was handmade. Herod's renovation was handmade. The temple Christ walked into was not. Amen? Combined word, you know, kair, uh, which is hand, and poel, which is to make. And this term appears in a negative form, either with a uh, with the prefix ah, which is the negative, right, or as two words, you know, not that's o, and then kairopateos. So as we look at things that are not handmade from a New Testament perspective, we gain some pretty neat insights. The um, exegetical dictionary of the New Testament says, in all its occurrences, nine basically. In all of its occurrences, this term, not made with hands, speaks of the antithesis of what is made with men's hands to the work of God. Every time it comes up, it's what man has done and what God has done. Okay? So, false witnesses came forward at the trial, this illegal trial of Jesus of Nazareth. They couldn't agree with each other. But one of the false accusations they made was that Jesus said he would destroy the temple and build another one not made with hands. As with all good lies, they have grains of truth in them. Now this is kind of like a, a, a beating drum. Imagine a culture, imagine a nation that has its, has its wealth and prominence by the fact that the entire focus of its identity its charity and its authority are centered on one plot of ground in Jerusalem where the temple resides. And so, if you want to try to relate this to maybe some sort of an arrest or, or rendition program in the United States of America, would be someone being accused of blowing up the White House. Mm -hmm. Well, we heard him say he was going to blow up the White House and set up his own government. Okay? Alright. No one here is saying that, just in case you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just in case, just, just in case there are some devices that are listening to what I'm saying from some flying robot over Me, paranoid? I'm not. Okay. Alright. Stephen was accused of continually speaking against the temple and saying that Jesus of Nazareth would destroy it. 
So the first reference was in Mark 14, verses 57 through 59. This comes to us out of Acts 7, verses 13 through 15. So this is the accusation that they brought against Stephen. Now, Stephen, actually that should be Acts 6. That's the accusation they brought forward. So Acts 7 begins this great presentation by Stephen where he just does um, a, a synopsis of the Old Testament. Okay, He just goes from prim to post and, and it's, a, it's a tremendous preaching under the Spirit of Wisdom from the Holy Spirit. Okay, So um, when we look at what he preached, in verse 48 of chapter 7 he said, God does not live in temples made by hand. There's our term. Not made by hand. Stephen, before the Sanhedrin, said, God does not live in temples made by hand. Interesting that he was quoting somebody else who um, was endowed with the spirit of wisdom. Acts 7, verse 45. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in with, with Joshua. <clears throat> when they dis dispossessed the nations that God drave out before our fathers, so that it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. In these three verses, verse 45, you have the tabernacle of Moses. Verse 46, you have the tabernacle of David. And then verse 47, you have Solomon's temple. The three primary quote-unquote, dwelling places of God among the children of Israel in the Old Covenant. Boy, if I could just teach like that. Let's have supper, right? False promises, Pastor. Okay, Acts 7, verse 48. <laughs> and you're not even past the introduction. You're not even past the introduction. <laughs> Yet the Most High, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Isaiah 66, verse 1. Um, bouncing off of 1 Kings 8, when Solomon said the same thing. Did not my hand make all these things? Did not my hand make all these things? You took what I made, and then you fabricated something. You think I live in that? Talk about two steps down. <laughs> I made you and then you made something. And then you want me to live in that. I, you know, you need to wrap your head around the fact that God is bigger. God is bigger. God is bigger than your theology. God is bigger than your community. God is bigger than your planet. He's bigger than your fear. He's bigger than your disease. He's bigger than your debility. God is greater. Amen? Then he says in verse 51, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. This is the sandwich. They accused him of saying that the temple would be destroyed and another set up. And he ends this, this great sermon with God does not dwell in temples made with hands, and then he challenges them and he says, you resist the Holy Spirit. Where? In their understanding on how they relate to God. In their understanding of where God lives. In their understanding of all that is sacred, they did not understand the sacred one. The Holy Spirit. 
And so my admonition to you tonight is don't resist. Do not resist. Don't resist. Don't push back against the Holy Spirit. Embrace. Embrace the revelation of God's dwelling. When you begin to embrace, your imagination was designed to see the glory of God when your spirit eyes weren't looking at it. Your imagination was designed to see the glory of God when your spiritual eyes weren't seeing it. We were made to live in two realms. And Newsflash Church, you will always live in two realms. You are not going to be, your eternal destiny isn't to be a disembodied spirit living in the spirit realm. That's not what makes you unique. You are made from the earth, and the earth is your inheritance, and you will dwell as a royal priest king on earth. Amen. Oh, amen. You're meant to be a royal priest king on earth today. You are a royal priest king on earth today. question is, what kind of priest, what kind of king? Okay? So, embrace the revelation of God's dwelling. I'm trying really hard just to teach and not preach, but this is going to be fun. <laughs> so, dwelling in covenant. He said, you uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you do always resist the Holy Spirit. And he said this in context with a message about the dwelling places of God. God does not live in temples made with hands. That was a quote out of Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. And um, Paul repeats this message. It's not just a message to the Jew. It's a message to the Gentile as well. Paul in Athens said the same thing. God does not dwell in temples made with hands, seeing that he is, you know, he's made all these things. And we move and live and have our being inside of him. Okay? That's Acts 17. We have an earthly tabernacle. So our spirit, right, is in flesh and bone, flesh and blood. We're all walking around in bodies. And um, being disembodied is disconcerting. Just ask, well, don't ask them. Just kick them out. <laughs> That's part of the fun of kicking a demon out. You get to disembody them. <laughs> Trust me, they find it disconcerting. If we die before Christ comes, the Apostle assures us under the hand of the Holy Spirit that there is a house for us in heaven, not made with hands. This singular verse in 2 Corinthians 5.1 is profound because it means that there is a body and a place for you in heaven, but it's not your body because you're the body of Christ. My holy hunch, personal opinion, and we'll get into that, is that what gives you physicality in heaven is the body of Christ until He resurrects your body. And that can get just so warped to think about. It's fun to think about a lot because I think you can get a lot of insights from that. Okay? But even should you die before Christ comes back, God has you. He has a house for you in heaven, not made with hands. Amen? Our covenant sign 
is a circumcision not made with hands. Now, we talk about circumcision, and I could be accused of being base, but I'm not. God made this process. He created man. Adam had a foreskin. Adam's sons had foreskins on their male-male member, <laughs> main male member. And then, when it came to Abraham, he said, Oh, I'm serious about this. Take something you're serious about and cut it off. And cut it off your sons. And so that every time you have a daily function, every time you procreate, every time you see you're under covenant. That's how real God likes to make the application of His Word. It's not theoretical. It's practical. It's every day. Why do you thank God for your food? Why pray for why why pray over your food? I near How, why do you pray for your food? Oh, why? Uh, to, to bless it, to make it healthy for my body. Okay, that's and, a good reason. And, and and I I guess to to acknowledge the God that He gave it to me. To thank God for it. How many times a day do you eat, Tim? Four. Four. <laughs> Four. It's okay. I eat five times a day. I eat five times a day except on weekends. Okay, so, hey, look, that's just practical, right? If all we did was thank God for our food, and we ate once or twice or three or four or five times a day, we're at least in thankfulness those many times a day. It's very, very practical. And we, then we have the promise that, that the angels said that our food and water would be blessed. It, it, there is, there's, we receive it with thanksgiving. There's, there's, there's tremendous blessing there. I could go on a way tangent with that, but I'm not going to. Um, but we so, declare it. You know, we yeah, declare we, de it. we declare over it and we thank God for it. First and foremost, we're thanking God for it. If you're concerned the food might be poisonous, maybe you should apply wisdom versus blessing. Um, but that's, <laughs> like I said, I could go, I could go on a wide tangent there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Oh, did I say, I was going to say about notes. I encourage taking notes. But if you want notes of this message, I can print them out for you, so you don't kill yourself writing down. Okay? But write down, write down what's important to you. Okay? <laughs> Philippians three three. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. This circumcision made without hands in the heart. Um, you can read about it. Ephesians two eleven. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, Romans 2, 29, and then Philippians 3, 3, which we just did. See, we are circumcised in our heart. There was a, there was a fleshly protuberance on our spirit feeler, <laughs> and God cut it away. He did it. We didn't. If this is heart surgery in the spirit of man, here you see clearly the correlation. Um, well, you see it in the other ones, not necessarily in this verse. But we worship God in the spirit, spirit and heart, okay? This is the circumcision of the heart, not made with hands. God doesn't dwell in temples made with hands, and we're part of a covenant whose sign is not made with hands. That seal of the Holy Spirit, that circumcision of the heart. Hebrews 9.11 But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, Human beings didn't build this. That is not of this creation. Okay, well, um, did I miss a slide? Where'd it go? I didn't. I mean, if not this creation, which creation, right? 
Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. The face of the deep, is that talking about, about the oceans, or is it was, was all water, is that it, or what? The, or, or is that talking about the heavens? The face of the deep yes. um, is all waters. Okay. And based on the narrative, well, let's see if I have a good point to get into here uh, where I can put that in. The Hebrew for, for without form and void is tohu wabuhu, which is formlessness and emptiness, or waste and void. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was waste and void and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. Remember he, he caused a firmament that separated the waters below and the waters above. And that which he caused the separation he called heaven. That firmament. So my, uh, my personal understanding based on the narrative is that that body of water was the entire universe. Okay. And then there was an expansion made. A bubble? Like Above a bubble. and blue. Yeah. Okay? The phrase, this tohu wabuhu, occurs only two other times in Scripture, both describing a judgment of God. When this, when this, so three clearly describing judgment in two uses. If you understand the Bible, you understand that, that God said everything in the beginning, and then He let the seed grow all the way through Revelation. And so, as, as this revelation um, unscrolled, developed, unfurled, and you find this phrase used on prophets' lips to describe judgment, it's not a big leap to look over your shoulder at the first time it was used and see its results and say, hmm, judgment. Jeremiah 4.23 I looked on the earth and behold, it was without form and void and the heavens and they had no light. Well, does that sound familiar? And see, this is the beauty of looking at Scripture as a believer in Yahweh, as one who sees Scripture as his revelation. The materialist, the rationalist, would look at this and say, well, yeah, this is just some poet um, in some century B.C. who is familiar with Genesis and he's borrowing the literary language. Okay. Yeah, but he's also adding weight to a description under the hand of the Holy Spirit. He looks and the earth was without form and void in the heavens and they held no light. I would, uh, go ahead. Nick, is it here in Jeremiah or is it in Genesis that the word means became void? We'll talk about that. Okay, thank you. So, whatever the Holy Spirit kind of like tweaks your heart on, and, and, and you know, you, you just, you know, you, you, you think, what is that about? or something in your heart leaps, and you write that down, well, write that down and look at it. Go for it. Dive into it. 
I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm covering a lot of ground, okay? So there's a lot, there's a lot to, to, to go back on. I suggest you go back on all of Jeremiah 4, all the book of Jeremiah. <laughs> but but Jer Jeremiah 4, and read that. Um, one of the things, one of the things, it has been a blessing to me to embrace Yahweh, is, was, will be. God has integrity, always. He, he speaks as He is. And so every bit of revelation comes through in the is, was, will be tense. So that when God speaks, in the time He speaks, there's something there for the hearer. And in the time He speaks, there's a revelation of what was. And in the time He speaks, there is a revelation of what will be. Because He is, he is the I Am. Okay? And so... When, when you read these verses of Scripture, um, they may not appear in the narrative chronologically, but then God is still revealing the epic of history, which is um, uh, orderly. Okay? You know? I start, talking, I start talking about time and we'll get really out of time. Not to get you too off track, but it's interesting, based on what you said a few minutes ago, Jeremiah 4.4 4 talks about uh, circumcise yourselves to the Lord, remove the foreskin of your heart. Read it. Read it. Read, read all 4.4. 4. Jeremiah 4.4. 4. Sure. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. Yeah. Okay. I got a similar thing, but like more of a, a personal impression of when in Jeremiah when it says it was without form and void, referring back to Genesis. Um, in you just talked about the foreskins. You know, our hearts are the same thing. It's there. Our hearts, our spirits, without form or void until God can come and make something, create something out of that. It's just an empty vessel. There's no life in it without God. Yeah, yeah that's, that's insightful. Yes. God, who called the light to shine out of the darkness, has shined in our hearts to the glory of Christ Jesus. That's a paraphrase of 1 Corinthians 4, some verse in there. You go find it. God called light out of darkness. Oh, man. This God of ours... This, and again, this Jeremiah 4.23, he's talking about the judgment that's coming on Jerusalem, and it's coming. There's nothing they could do about it. Babylon's coming. They could repent to survive, but they're not going to repent and not have Babylon come. And for his stand, he was put in prison. For his stand, he was called a traitor. For his stand, he was called irreligious. Okay? Without form and void. Formless and void, emptiness, waste and void. Got that? God did not create the earth a waste. Here's the thing. See, God didn't create the earth a waste. He didn't create the earth a waste. <clears throat> Isaiah 45, verse 18. For thus saith the Lord, says the Lord, who created the heavens, He is God. Who formed the earth and made it, He established it. He did not create it empty. To who? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Isaiah says God didn't create it. Void. He didn't create it that way. That was not how he created it. 
I've read that before, but never, never put it in context. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord. There is no other. Now, remember, the reason we're looking at this is because Jesus entered the greater tent, the one not made with hands, not of this creation. And we need to understand the context of that this creation, okay? And this is part of that context. So, in these points of view, with regard to Genesis 1, and what is going on in Genesis 1, um, one point of view holds Genesis 1 as the only, the, cre the, the narrative of the only creation. Genesis, there's only one creation, Genesis 1 is a narrative of that creation, and that creation is the one we're on, it's the only creation, that's it, okay? Um, some of the things that attach themselves to this understanding is, um, is a belief that the fall of Lucifer occurs concurrent with the fall of man. In other words, Satan's fall was this tempting of man, and Genesis 3 records the falling of them both. I don't think so. I, again, there, there are... Um, there are... There are... There, there are there are men. He says he he merchandised, he, he merchandised in heaven. Yes. You know, it does. So, so um, again, on, so you're going to encounter these points of view. So the reason I'm putting out these points of view is that in my young life as a Christian, I was force-fed a point of view, exclusionary to all other points of view, and then when other points of view came in, it it caused some concerns. I've never heard that before. Um, someone lied to me. Uh, or, oh, what's going on there? So, I want you to make, make you aware of these points of view. They're not invalid. I don't hold them. But they're not necessarily invalid because I don't hold them. And as I shared with you last week, much of this is personal testimony of where I've arrived to in my understanding. And I pray the Holy Spirit gives you revelation. Because his revelation is better than my teaching any day of the week, any minute of the day. Amen. Amen? Yes. Amen? So that's what I'm after is that you receive a revelation from the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, um, it, th there's a, there, there are any number of scholars, um, and, and several of which I, I hold in great esteem, that hold to this based on the basic narrative and their understanding of the Hebrew and the narrative of Genesis. Nothing going on here, folks. It's a straightforward narrative, and this is what happened. Okay. Um, another outcome of this is what I would like to term adamant young earth uh, theology. So uh, you have this, you know, the earth is only 6,000 years old, and every science must be bent, every understanding must be bent uh, to, to believe and to see that every rock we step on only has an age of 6,000 years, give or take. Okay? So these are some of the outcomes. They cause challenges. I, I, I've testified to this continually. No science can defy God. Because all science, rightly applied, is looking at His creation. And any look at His creation is a look at His handiwork. And ultimately, if your heart's open, it will cause you to glorify Him. Okay? So I'm not scared of carbon dating. I'm not scared of the Hubble telescope. I'm not scared of microscopes. I'm, I'm not scared of genetic engineering. I'm not scared of it. 
I'm not concerned about genetic engineering. Don't get me wrong. That's all that thing. Okay. All right. But you, you see what I'm saying? You I mean, that that that. Look at his creation. Is a look at his what? Okay. Is, a, is a look at his handiwork and it'll cause you to glorify him. I mean, as, as a for instance, you know, in genetics, junk DNA is like anything scientists can't figure out. It's just something we didn't need from evolution, you know? I believe in evolution. Hmm, here's something that I don't understand how it works. It must not be necessary because we grew out of that evolutionarily, you know? I don't need an appendix. I don't need this. I don't need a vegetable organ. I don't need junk DNA. And, and so, uh, one of the most recent findings. In, um, in genetics is, uh, is, a, is a study done, granted on fruit fly brains, but, okay, but. So the problem with junk DNA is the sequences are so long, it, it takes a lot of power to, to really uh, do the analysis, and we'll come to find out it's not random, and come to find out that they are, there's a fancy word for it which I just forgot, but basically they can, they can move quote-unquote junk DNA can move inside the sequence and when they move inside the sequence they trigger expression in other words the the more the, what winds up being your morphology how you look and how you act is based upon these sequences that turn the gene on or off or where it's at long story short the study was in the neurons and where these things move um, change the expression, the behavior, the, well, um, personality of the individual. So all of a sudden, junk DNA winds up, yeah, and genetics, yeah, winds up being one of the major factors for the huge variance, in eight variants in human personality. You know, we'll keep looking. Ain't none of it junk. Like I said, even when you, when you dig in scripture, you're looking for gold, but you're, you're, you know, while you're digging, you're throwing jewels over your shoulder. I mean, that's God, right? He just has wealth everywhere. He's that great. He's that good. He's that marvelous, okay? But these, these are some of the outcomes, and this is very general, very reductionist. It's a big, long debate. Um, the other side of the equation, or one other side of the equation, is that Genesis 1-1 speaks of the original creation. And then Genesis 1-2 uh, speaks of the result of the war in heaven and Lucifer's ex expulsion. Okay? And um, that there is a quote-unquote time gap between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. Uh, what do I think? I think that each view has issues. <laughs> I think that it's not a question of whether one's right and the other wrong. But how are they both wrong? You know, and and there's there's issues with both of them. There very well may be. Right? Um, just because you're wrong doesn't make me right. You know, so something to consider. That's why you need the spirit of truth, amen. Yeah. Okay. Not of this creation, Hebrews nine eleven. Not of this creation. Well, if it's not this one, which one? See, here's the thing. If Genesis records the only creation. And Hebrews tells me that God has a temple that's not of this creation. Well then, if not this one, which one? Now, opinions, thoughts, issues. We talked about this last week. When it comes to not being unequally yoked, when it comes to fellowship of the brethren, what we're really talking about, well, I mean, yoking's a different thing. 
Not talking about cornbread there, okay? Where did Joy go? Okay. Um, we're talking about central doctrine, core beliefs, okay? Um, one God, one Lord, one Spirit, one way to the Father. You know, as, as a, as a born-again believer, can I sit with someone who thinks that Jesus is God on the lines with Thor and, um, and Baal? No. <laughs> we're, not, we're not really having fellowship there, right? Okay? Core doctrines. But then, from there, we have practices. How it is that our church community... Um, the culture of our church community, the culture of our covenant community, uh, worship style. Okay, so um, maybe in our church we allow drums and an electric guitar, and in another church they don't allow any musical instruments at all. Well, am I going to call that person unsaved, unchristian, lost, deceived, no, no. not to be fellowship with because we have a different worship style? He doesn't, ha he doesn't have any music. That's crazy. Well, they sing. They have beautiful music. Okay. Um, how about attire? You know? Well, you came into the Lord's house without a tie. That's the kind of church I grew up in. But I didn't have a tie on. Clip-on tie. I was a kid. Okay? Alright. Um, you know, I mean, we used to dress up for church. Uh, and uh, it, we're, we're a very casual society, right? America. Anyhow, so but these are practices. Head coverings, no head coverings, this kind of we talked about this last week, right? And then and then you have the area where much of fellowship disruption, um, a lot of uh, of church planting happens, or not church planting, I'm sorry. Um, uh, splits. <laughs> church, church splits. The church splits, right? You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it happens in this realm of opinions. The sadness is, is that we part company based upon areas of opinion. I, I've had, I've had many. <laughs> I say many. Once too many, right? I, I have, I have forcefully stated my opinions and had people break fellowship with me. Big surprise, right? Um, I could be a real work, person. Work in other. Right? Work in other, right? Okay. Uh, timing of the rapture. Okay. Now, uh, hot item. Uh, it's been a hot item for a long time, but it, I mean, it just seems to be like the cause du jour. Um, if you did not know, um, in, in current day, um, high wattage, and by high wattage I mean um, uh, broadcast ministry Christianity, and also in big box church Christianity, from my read of it, um, if you did not know, uh, a pre-tribulation rapture is out of favor. If you believe that, you're an escapist, um, you're not involved in the culture, and you're just not reading your Bible right. And what, what is in favor in evangelical society today, particularly from a, a reform perspective, um, is, you know, well, either amillennialism, but particularly a, a mid- or post-trib rapture. Uh, if you are not adamantly prepared to suffer, well, then you're just a cop-out. And that, that was probably a little sarcastic on my point. But anyhow, if you didn't know, if you didn't know, well, what are we talking about? Timing of the rapture. That's what we're talking about. Okay, 
I could, I could, I could count on one hand everyone who knows the timing of the rapture. Ready? One. Okay. God the Father. So everybody else has an opinion. Now those opinions, see, opinions, opinions affect practices as much as core doctrines do. So it's not that opinions aren't important. Opinions do educate our practices, and it's important. Okay. So, but I'm not going to break fellowship. I could be wrong. You know, I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. Doesn't mean I'm an escapist. Doesn't mean I don't think Christians are, you know, are, are immune from suffering. Doesn't mean that I don't think there's trouble in this planet. Because boy, I've seen plenty. Um, doesn't mean any of that. Doesn't mean I'm not going to occupy until he comes. But I'll tell you what else it doesn't mean. I'm not going to get into a full-blown argument with someone who believes otherwise. Or break fellowship with them. You know what I'm going to have? I'm going to have a dialogue. And maybe God can tell us where we're both wrong. You know? But if he shows up, if, you know, if, if, the, if the tribulation breaks out, and, and, okay, I bet, you know, I mean, I've been watching this for a while, and, and we've, been, we've been in the first years of the tribulation for the last 30 years, as far as I can tell. You know? So we're 30 years into the first year of a seven-year episode that, that, you know, we're all supposed to go through. Okay. All right. That's just my life. Maybe you haven't gone through that. All right? Um, but should it happen, you know, should I turn around and someone's building a temple in Israel, should I turn around and, and, and there's some sort of vote in the UN and, and every nation starts laying down its sovereignty, um, I'm not going to doubt the Bible. I'm going to doubt my opinion. Amen. Okay? Amen. By the same token... If there's a big horn blast and the ground breaks up and a bunch of us start flying up, I'm going to look for one of my buddies and I'm going to say, Ha ha! You're wrong! We're going to be so awesome. Hey, I'll put a word in for you. Maybe he'll send you back to get killed for him. No, I'm not going to do that. Well, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. If you believe in, in post-trib, I'm not leaving, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, wait a minute! No. Okay? I mean, we're talking opinions, right? Origin of demons. I have an opinion. I have an opinion on the origin of demons. Um, but I also have an unequivocal truth. They're unclean spirits. So how they got here, where they came from, doesn't matter. As much as the fact is that they're unclean and evil, and I have authority over them. <laughs> you see? So I can have an opinion as to where they came from, but in my practice, I rest on core doctrine. Okay? So, we clear on that? Mm -hmm. Alright, an opinion by any other name. So what comes forward next is my opinion. Best as I got it. This is, what, this is my understanding current to date now. I mean, it's blessed me. Maybe it'll bless you. Maybe you'll see something in there and go, mm, that's good, but what about this? And that's great. Because you know what? I wasn't there when God created the heavens and the earth. So, um, one word, or one, one means this thing is called in Genesis 1, 1, 1, 2 is Lucifer's Flood. Lucifer's Flood. Okay. I don't like the name. You know why? In my opinion, he doesn't have the cosmic juice to pull it off. I have never considered Lucifer to be powerful enough to drown an entire universe. He just doesn't have that juice. 
You know what? I gave up being afraid of, of, of a nuclear holocaust for the same reason. I don't think man has the juice to burn this planet down. God does. And because God said he was going to burn the planet down, I think when men dream and plan and build weapons to burn the planet down, God says, ha, 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 ha. no, that's my job. And so I don't worry about it anymore. About nuclear holocaust. Now, you know... Uh, uh, or global warming, because God created the earth and right. he'll take care of it. <laughs> most, of you, most of you who were born after 1990, or maybe even after 1980, you didn't grow up where, um, you know, everything was a bomb shelter. And you were trying to prep, not for some technological failing, but for a nuclear holocaust when the East and the West tried to blow themselves to bits. And we were walking through a landscape that was just irradiated to nothing. And, and you didn't sit through government films time and time again where you saw everything start blowing up and where to run and hide, unless you grew up in Arkansas, in which case an atomic bomb was the least of your worries. There was a thing called a, a, a tornado, and it would blow your house down just as well, and you got in the same basement. So, you know, it didn't matter. <laughs> okay? All right. Gap theory. Okay? This is another term that goes by. This time gap between Genesis 1, 1, and 1, 2. Well, how can there be a time gap before time as we know it, evening and morning, existed? To deposit some sort of expansive time between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2 and qualified as we call time makes no sense because what we call time didn't exist until God said, let there be light. And the evening and the morning were day one. Not first day, day one. Something unique that had never existed before. Time as we know it, God created on day one. Okay? So you can't measure it in time frames that we call time. I keep you going on that. I can write a whole book about that. Okay. <clears throat> Ruin reconstruction. This is another tag or name that this, this uh, opinion, theory, goes by. And I prefer it because it doesn't rely solely on two verses of proof text. Or... Um, a potentially iffy translation of was, being, became. Um, it, you know, some people think it's tenable, some people th think it's not. I don't know Hebrew, I don't know. <laughs> I just know God doesn't create void, okay? So, uh, ruin reconstruction, that's, that's the better name for it. So, what caused the ruin? In biblical literature, only one event seems cataclysmic enough to qualify, and that is the casting of Lucifer from heaven in judgment for his sin. Remember this phrase, tahu wabahu, is in reference to judgment. And it's not Lucifer's flood. No. Uh, Revelation 12.4 says the stars of heaven were cast to earth. Revelation 12.7-9 says there was a war in heaven and the dragon, Satan, cast out, was cast out of heaven to earth. In Isaiah 14, verses 12 and 15, it says Lucifer was cast down from heaven into Sheol, okay? And Ezekiel 31, 15, here's this phrasing, And the day he went down to Sheol, I caused a mourning, I covered the deep for him. So, I, I, you know, if you've ever studied this subject before, you've, you've made a traipse through Ezekiel 28, and the Prince of Tyre is, um, you know, I mean, as, as blatant as you get of a description of what's going on with the, the, the cherub that covereth, right? Uh, and, and Lucifer's fall. But he's not the only one. You've got Pharaoh, and you've got the Assyrian. You've got all these world rulers where all these allusions to um, 
this epic battle are in, and this is one of them. This is uh, Ezekiel 31. In the day he went down to Sheol, I caused the morning, and I covered the deep for him. Kind of sounds like Genesis 1-2 to me, but you know. Ezekiel 32-7. When I shall put thee out, I will cover the heaven and make the stars thereof dark. Okay? So, I'm going to read together 2 Peter chapter 3. And I'll be reading out of the King James because otherwise I'll start getting cognitive dissonance. <laughs> 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. Everybody doing alright? Need a stretch? We're okay for the ride? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. This is the scoffers. This is the scoffers' take, and and the scoffers' take is is that life is is linear. Um, you can you can predict life through a Gaussian line. You can trend it out on your graph and know what's going on. And since you know the graph, you can look over your shoulder and know what's been. This is science writ large. Okay. For this they are willingly ignorant of. Willingly ignorant of. They're ignorant willingly. That by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world. Now that verse 6, world, is the word cosmos. Cosmos. The cosmos. It's spelled with a K in Greek. Uh, we spell it with a C, but that's where we got it from. And what we mean when we say the cosmos, pretty much what they meant when they said the cosmos. The cosmos that was then, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, note the context. Noah's flood was what? It was global. This is talking about heavens and the earth. This is universal. It's a bit bigger. Whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished, but the heavens and the earth which are now, by the same word, are kept and stored, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering. Who? To us. The reason, the reason why... Uh, his quickly isn't our quickly is because God is merciful to us. What? Not willing to see that any would perish. Right? Uh, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burnt up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. And here in Second Peter, we have a, 
a very good synopsis of the generations of the heavens and the earth. So I'm going to walk you through this chart real quick. Apologize for the small print. You want, a, you want a printout of this chart? I can give it to you. It's called a concept map, okay? God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created. And the earth perhaps became, but God doesn't create, doesn't create void. The earth became to who Genesis 1.2. So here you have ruin. What God did, ruin, and then God said, Genesis 1.3 through 2.3, and God said is the reconstruction. From Genesis 1.1, redemption is brought out. There is destruction because of judgment, and God calls light forth and redeems it and makes it new. That is your story. That is your epic. God who called. That's, we've got to read this. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4. Um, I think it's verse 20. I keep misquoting it, and that's not right. Well, it's not first. It's not four, but fourth one. Um, maybe it's five. Well, I will have to find it later. Um, no, it's Second uh, Corinthians four six. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Your heart, when God called light to shine out of it, was it non-existent or was it in the state of tahu wabahu? It was in the state of tahu wabahu. Yeah. And when God called light out of darkness, it wasn't that nothing was there. It was, it was the so-called a dead heart. So, this is called ruin and reconstruction. This little box out here on the other side. Um, judgment and destruction of the first heaven and earth. Establishment of the current heaven and earth. No time gap. No time gap because there's no time as we know it. And no pre-Adamic humanoid race. This is another thing that comes out of this. Is this belief that this earth was populated by human-like beings. And ergo the fossil record and ergo a whole bunch of other stuff. Doesn't hold water in scripture, pun completely intended. Okay? So, it's a water verse. Okay. Alright. So, how does this line up? In the beginning God created, that's 2 Peter 3, 5, the heavens and earth of old. And the earth became without void, uh, without form and void. Um, that, this, um, this heavens that are now is, is this reconstruction part. And God said, the heavens and the earth which are now. Hebrews said, not of this creation. That that temple in heaven is of that creation. The heavens and the earth which are of old. That heavens that existed were the sons of God saying when God set the pillars of the earth of this current earth down. Angels are from a different creation than mankind. They're not concurrent with. Okay? the heavens, And then a new heavens and a new earth. In the heavens and the earth which are now, man was created to keep and subdue. Okay? Man was created in the image of God and he was given to keep the garden. Now, keep meant to work it, but keep is the same thing as guard. Guard. He was to guard it. These are both militaristic terms. To guard is the same word, same word used when the cherub was placed with the flaming sword going everywhere to keep the way of the tree of life. He wasn't weeding a patch, okay? He was keeping it. He was guarding it. Adam was to keep 
the garden. And then it says that they were to have dominion and subdue. Subdue is a militaristic term. Its most violent one is used in reference to rape, okay? Where um, Esther, uh, where Haman, where the king thought Haman was trying to force Esther, mm -hmm. is that word, okay? And this subdue is what Micah says Jesus did to your iniquities. He subdued them. It presupposes an enemy present, okay? So, mankind is placed in a garden with an enemy present. Ever wondered why the serpent was there? Because God threw him there. And man was his jail keep. <clears throat> he fell. Man fell. The church redeemed to prove the wisdom of God. That's Ephesians. Okay? Ephesians 3, I believe. The last Adam rules for a thousand years, Revelation 24. On this current planet, he rules forever. But in this current planet, he rules for the millennium, right? So, the earth that was of old, Lucifer's rebellion, you can read about that, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. Lucifer's fall, casting down the Sheol, Isaiah 14, 12, Ezekiel 31, 15. And then, during that thousand years, Satan is bound in the abyss. That's Revelation 20, verses 1 through 3, okay? So this is the generations of the heavens and the earth writ large, the first heaven and earth, which is the heavens and earth of old, the heavens and earth which are now, and the new heavens and the new earth which is going to be. Okay? Got all that? You squared down, locked in. What does this have to do with the temple in heaven? <laughs> One more question about the graph. Yeah? So is Lucifer's rebellion over there on the right, that's what caused the ruin and reconstruction? That is my understanding, yes. And he was cast to Sheol. Mm -hmm. So, as opposed to the abyss and the Gehenna. Right. If, so Sheol is, where is that then, if he was in the Garden of Eden? Mwah. Sheol <laughs> is down. <laughs> Sheol in the spirit realm is at the, uh, well, it's below. And so... But he could come to the Garden of Eden mm -hmm. at some point then. Yeah. Sheol was, Sheol was made for his habitation, which is why it's so horrible for mankind, because it wasn't made for us. We just wound up there by default. It enlarges. So it, it, with regard to a topography of the underworld, I have a different diagram for that, which I took from Chuck Missler. But um, anyhow, <laughs> below, below Sheol is, is the bottomless pit. The bottomless pit is at the center of Earth's gravity well, my belief. But... Anyhow, Helena, um, some of your thought then if he was cast to Sheol, how does he have any no, I thought he power was, here? The ruin cost, yeah, I don't want to no. go later to. I just thought if he's cast down into Sheol, mm -hmm. and then we have the present earth with the Garden of Eden, and he's created, how did Satan end up in the Garden of Eden if he was cast into Sheol? The keeper wasn't keeping. The biggest question, the biggest question of Genesis three is why in the Hades, why in the Sheol is that snake talking to his wife? Right. That's the question. So, um, and you know, easy for me to kick at Adam. I know all kinds of snakes. I let go through to my wife. That's my bad. But wow. So there. <laughs> What does this have to do with the temple in heaven? Well, the heavens and the earth, 
thinking of it sequentially, or chronologically, if you will, but again, not in time frames as we understand time. Of old, okay, which are now, and new heavens and earth. The new heavens and earth is what we're looking toward. The new heavens and earth is your inheritance by birth. So when we talk about salvation, and can you lose your salvation, and are we going to be in all these kinds of questions, those who are redeemed by Christ Jesus, who accepted the blood of Christ through faith, who are born again, sealed with the Holy Spirit of God, are promised eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth. Okay? That is a right by birth, by grace, not of works as any man should boast. Ruling and reigning in the thousand-year millennium, Access to the city of Jerusalem, standing in the temple of God, or not the temple of God, but standing before God in the center of that city, that's a different story. That's not by birth. That's okay? reward. That's reward. If you think of these things now, okay, so, so I'm just trying to help you. Remember I did this whole thing about macro and micro. We went all the way down to quarks, okay? So one way to think of this term heavens and earth is this chronological way. But when you think of the heavens, you've got to think also in terms of, ge of geography, if you will. Okay? Um, and and the, only, the only term we really understand and the only term we can really think of is space. But you have the first heaven. See, God, in the heavens of heavens. Okay? In the heavenlies. Like we have the holy of holies, you have the heaven of heavens. Well, the first heaven is the atmosphere. That which surrounds the earth. Okay? And the second heaven is outer space. And I believe that if mankind ever had the juice, the rocket power, the science, to get to the edge of our universe, they would encounter a crystalline wall. The firmament is separated. Water above and water below. And that crystalline wall we call the glassy sea. The, the glassy sea. And that is the third heaven, or the heaven of heavens. But it's spiritual, right? I mean, it's. I mean, you're you're speaking about in terms of, of material, but it's 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 a spirit. It's it's a. It is a realm and dimension above the dimensions right. that we can access. Right, and so it's a spirit. Right. Right, and unfortunately, the realms we can access we refer to as material, which might make us think of the spirit realm as ethereal or unsubstantial. And I'm here to tell you, it is more substantial and more solid than any material thing you've ever felt. And that's what Hebrews 12 talks about. All of this that you know, that you see, that you feel, is a hologram on the skin of the spirit realm. That is both scientifically true and spiritually true. Okay? Okay. Hebrews 9, verse 22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified without blood, and with, is, is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Whoa! Okay, I have a temple on earth that had to be cleansed with blood. We walk through the whole. Day of Atonement, blood taken all the way into the Holy of Holies to atone for the sins of the people, to sanctify the space as a shadow copy of what had to happen in the sanctuary in heaven. Wait a minute. Heaven defiled? You! How could that be? Heaven defiled? How could heaven be defiled? Wait a minute. 
Heaven's always the perfect place. Do you know God's family's messy? You know, he... Look at his family here. He calls, he calls a meeting of the, of, of the uh, Benai Elohim and the wayward son shows up. He calls his council together and Satan shows up. And God says, where have you been? Well, where do you think I've been? Walking up and two through the earth. Like I got any choice. Why a king on earth calls prophets together and, and wants to know whether he's going to win a war. And everybody says, you're going to win, you're going to win, you're going to win. And he's like, everybody's glad, everybody's a sycophant. Everybody's telling me I'm the best thing ever. Everybody's telling me I'm the, I'm the, I've done the most ever. I'm going to win, win, win. I know one guy who's going to take a guy. Hey, hey, Micaiah, what's, what's the word? What's the word from the Lord? Oh, yeah, you're going to win. Don't lie to me. What is it? Well, God called counsel. And he called the host together and he said, Who will be a lying spirit for me in the mouth of these prophets? Somebody on the left-hand side said, Ooh, I'll go down there. God's family's messy. So if you think human sin in God's tabernacle might defile it, what do you think angelic sin does in God's tabernacle? Sounds like they're swapping in Washington. <laughs> yeah. Can you go back to the slide before that one? In which area do you think our moon is located? Outer space. Okay. Not in our atmosphere. The moon gets into our atmosphere, we've got big problems. <laughs> the outer space, not, not in the area of the third heavens. Yeah, yeah. correct. Yeah. So in, in outer space, um, I am classifying, uh, you know, extraplanetary, extra, sure. I mean, all of that. The universe, as we call it. Okay. Okay. okay? <laughs> You're welcome. Hebrews 9.24, For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. Christ has entered to heaven itself in the presence of God. I'm just going to keep saying this because I know how we think. We get so focused on the symbol that we want the symbol to be the thing that's done to make the true happen. We want somehow Jesus to bring um, a vial of His blood into the earthly temple and dump it on some ark that's not there, or down a crag so it spills down and touches the Ark of the Covenant or something. And I'm not saying that's beyond God's ingenuity or happenstance. I'm saying it's irrelevant. And God said it was irrelevant. He, he said, I think it was through Jeremiah, said, they're not going to talk about this ark anymore. They won't ask about it, they won't even be curious about it. The greater has come. And Christ, so blood was shed and brought into the Holy of Holies. But the writer of Hebrews says to cleanse the, the, temp, the heaven itself, better blood had to be applied and taken in. So my question to you, church, is what blood did Jesus of Nazareth carry into the Holy of Holies of heaven? His own. Which one? The spilled or the resurrected? The resurrected. The resurrected blood. The resurrected blood of Christ that sits on the throne of God. Now, this does not negate the necessity of the spilling of the blood. I'm just referring to you to the blood that God ascended. 
How did he get there? He ascended in the Shekinah cloud. That's how he got in heaven. He didn't walk into heaven before that. Okay? Now again, this is in the orange zone. It's my opinion, but I'm reading the scripture. <laughs> Alright? So, Ezekiel 28, verses 16 and 17. This is, this is in this section about the Prince of Tyre. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, I, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, in the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. Okay? Verse 18. By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. So I brought fire out from the midst of you, it consumed you, and I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. Again, God speaks and the is, was, will be. This is a judgment on the Prince of Tyre. It's also a, 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 a judgment toward the principality behind the Prince of Tyre. And it's also an exposure of what happened to the guardian cherub known as Lucifer, who became Satan, that old dragon, the devil. Job 15, 15. Behold, God puts no trust in His holy ones, His angels, and the heavens are not pure in His sight. <clears throat> so, the temple in heaven, and this is where you can just kind of uh, you can go, I mean, I was my intent, we could just read all these scriptures together, but we'll be here till midnight. <laughs> um, Moses and the elders of Israel eat with God in Exodus 24. And, and you can read about that. Uh, Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel go up on the mountain and they see God and they see what Revelation calls the glassy sea. This firmament of sapphire. Okay. Um, the paved work of sapphire stone, clear as heaven, and they ate and drank before God. That's Exodus 24. So uh, again, these so, so they eat. You get it. You get an intonation of of the bread of the presence, the table of showbread. So all the, all the primary pieces of the tabernacle proper. You have the lampstand, you have the uh, altar of incense, you have the table of showbread, and then inside you have the Ark of the Covenant. So even before all the revelation comes down as to how to build this thing according to the pattern you saw on the mount, he takes them to the mount and he shows them the pattern. But the piece that's recorded is this sapphire sea, okay? This, this uh, firmament that God was standing on. Isaiah's vision of the throne room in Isaiah 6, uh, verses 1, 8, 1 through 8. You know, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. You see down his throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. You have shaking pillars. You have seraphim. Seraphim are not cherubim. Cherubim stand and hold up the glassy sea. They stand in the midst of the throne. They are God's chariot. Seraphim fly over. Seraphim fly over. The description that's different about Lucifer as the covering cherub is that it's a covering cherub. 
but the cherubim are described as being under God, holding up God this way. The seraphim, the seraphim are described in terms of their morphology and their shape as winged, flashy serpents. I mean, I, I, you know, we can get into all this, but that takes a while. Um, the cherubim each have four faces and each have a primary face they show forward. The face of a man, the face of an ox, the face of an eagle, and the face of a lion. Oxen are like oxen because there's a cherub that is the oxen cherub. Lions are like lions because there is a cherub that's the lion cherub. Men have men qualities as the head, well, because they're made in the likeness of God, and he kind of gave a little picture of that in that man face. Which one did I leave out? The eagle. Well, you know, eagles act like eagles because there was a cherub first made in the first creation. When God made these creatures, when God made these angels, when he fabricated a material world, he made animals like lions so that we would know about the lion of the tribe of Judah. He made animals like eagles so we would know about these powerful creatures and about the power of the Holy Spirit, eagles' wings. <laughs> he, made, he made oxen like oxen so we would understand that we would put our shoulder to a plow and not turn back, that we would serve in the yoke with Jesus Christ. See, these things are the way they are uh, because God had the greater thing made already. Isaiah sees God and he says, I'm a dead man. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I'm going to die. And the angel gets tongs and he pulls a coal from the altar. The only altar we see in heaven is the altar of incense. And he pulls this coal from the altar of incense. Incense is the prayer of the saints. Incense is, well, incense is a lot. And he touches his lips and he says, you're cleansed. Who will go for me? And he says, here am I, send me. So we, we see it in heaven, the real of what got represented on earth with the temple and the tabernacle. Ezekiel in the whirlwind. Ezekiel's by the Kabar River and he sees a whirlwind in the north. And it's the cherubim. And it's just marvelously daunting, like fall down like a dead man when you see it. Wings rasping and blazing and gyroscopic wheels full of fire and eyeballs everywhere and thunder and lightning and, a, and the voice of mighty waters. And above that, there is a firmament and a glassy sea and a throne. And he who sat on the throne like amber, like fire from, from the loins up and from the legs down. God Almighty, the Ancient of Days, in his description, if he had a passport, you would recognize him, depending upon what identity he's going with, you know. Whether it's the, whether it's the white-haired Ancient of Days or the Man of Fire, <laughs> the Holy Spirit, God the Father, and Jesus. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 4. So, again, embrace the revelation. It's not a matter of which is true and which is not true. In other words, all this stuff we read about in heaven, is that just symbolic language about what God did in your heart? Um, yes and no. All this stuff we read about heaven is real. What God did in your heart is closer. And if what God wrote about in heaven is real, and you get that perspective, and then you understand that He is in your heart, Great God Almighty. Oh. <laughs> John and the Spirit, Revelation chapter 4. 
After this I looked, verse 1, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard, as it were a trumpet talking with me, said, Come up hither, and I, I will show you things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and, on, and one sat on the throne, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. The jasper was the last stone on the, the uh, breastplate of the high priest, and the sardis stone was the first stone. He saw one who looked like the first and the last. <clears throat> and there was a rainbow round about the throne, the sight like unto to an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon these seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting. <laughs> clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire before, burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Here you have the throne of God, represented by the ark. Here you have the seven lamps before the throne, represented by the, the um, lampstand. Okay? And before the throne was a sea of glass, like unto crystal the glassy sea, represented in the temple by what Solomon called the sea. <laughs> he built a sea before you could walk in. Remember, it's a shadow. The temple's a shadow. And a thousand baths. There were, there were ten lavers, you know, five on the north and five on the south. But there was the sea that held a thousand baths um, that was used for all the water supply in the temple. That sea, that brazen laver, that's one representation of this crystalline sea before the throne of God. The other is, they paved the floor in gold. Oh, by the way, gold in heaven is transparent. When, when, when spirit realm gold comes to earth, it takes on material form. It slows down a bit. This stuff is exciting. Okay. Um, Pretty how do you see this stuff, Nick? Oh, use your, just imagine it. Just close your eyes for a minute. Just think about it for a minute. Bigger than any science fiction film you've ever seen. Bigger than any galaxy you've ever pictured. And you're there. In the halls of heaven. And your king is crowned with a rainbow. And he flashes light, and he's dressed in white, and his throne is red, and these living creatures worship him, and seraphim fly over him, and they all sing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. You're there. Here's the thing. You are there. Your body will get there one day. But you're there now. <laughs> because what He did in your heart is connected to His seat in heaven. This is why I'm explaining to you the seat in heaven. These pictures are real. When you read these, think them. See them. God put the imagery there for you to imagine it. And then let Him work in your heart as you imagine it. This throne room in heaven, uh, and you can write these down, but uh, Revelation 8, 1-5, Revelation 11, 19, Revelation 15, 1-8, the descriptions are highly consistent with the prophetic literature and with the pattern of the temple. It shouldn't surprise us. You will see the Ark of the Covenant. You will see the Holy of Holies. 
You will see the altar of incense. You will see the golden censer. It's all there. Why? Because the temple and the tabernacle were made after the pattern that's in heaven. Luke 10, verse 17 through 20. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. What then? What before? What coming? Okay, yeah. Yeah, I'll take all three, please. Supersize me, will you? I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning, sudden and dramatic and hard. Bam! Now, one way I thought about this, this is where imagination and opinion helps, right? I've always thought about this as, as you know, and been taught it in terms of they, they were causing so much wreckage that he had to come out of his uh, atmospheric positional authority to terra firma to, to get the troops together. Here's another way of seeing this. Hey, hey, Jesus, man, the demons, man, they're subject to our name. It's so cool and so great. Just like, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. What are you talking about? Mm. <laughs> That's one way. I mean, you know, maybe that wasn't the attitude he said it in. Okay? But I'll take it. Because he saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Yeah. Yeah. And he will see Satan fall like heaven from lightning. Like, you know. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. The enemy only has power over you that you give him. You are not helpless. You are not a victim. So whatever it is that's got your craw, universally get over it. <laughs> from, from my dear friend Dale. Okay? Grab the victory because he's fallen. So you may look at Genesis 3 and think, well, how could they fall? Okay? How could the jail keep let the psychopath talk him into giving him the keys? Well then, why do you act like you have no power over sin? Because you do. Because he lives in you. Amen? Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. We've got to have our joy in the right place. Our joy has got to be in the fact that we're redeemed. Our joy... Look, the song you're going to sing forever is, is that He shed His blood for you. <laughs> that you are redeemed from the earth. You're not going to be singing songs about, you know, I cast out 5,000 and my buddy cast out 10,000. No! That's not the song you're going to be singing. Okay? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the power of... The course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Remember? First heaven, atmosphere. Second heaven, universe. Third heaven, yeah, and, and if you put these principalities, in, I don't care if you put them in outer space like C.S. Lewis did, or if you put them in the atmosphere like most of us do, um, heaven of heavens and the atmosphere is interference, which is why you have to pray, which is why you pray. Because you are in spiritual warfare. There is an enemy present. Get busy. Okay? Subdue. <clears throat> we used to follow the prince and power of the air. 
the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now at work in the sons of disobedience. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. Ooh, ooh, big surprise. Why are we surprised when they fight back? I have the victory. I have the authority. What are you doing fighting back? You know what you do when the devil fights back? Kick harder. <laughs> Which means love more. Right? But he was defeated. Hallelujah. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent which is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Have come. Have come. I, I, don't, I don't care how you see the book of Revelation. It's prophetic. You know, it's going to happen. If you're a dispensationalist, if you're a premillennialist, postmillennialist. Look, salvation and power, is it here? Yes. Is the kingdom of God here? Yes. <clears throat> is the authority of Christ here? Yes. It has come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered Him. How? By the blood of the Lamb. What blood? What blood? And made it possible by His death. But we conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb. By the blood of the Lamb. The blood the Lamb carried into the heavenlies. The blood the Lamb carries on the throne of mercy and grace to offer you help in time of need. The blood of the resurrected Christ whose very body promises you will be resurrected. That blood. I do not overcome simply by a historical event 2,000 years ago. It was a mighty, awesome, eternal event. Don't get me wrong. But I overcome because I have a living Savior and Lord who sits by the right hand of the Father and He says, Uh-uh! See these marks? Accusation null and void. We have an advocate with the Father. This is why when I confess my sins, the blood of Christ makes me whole, because He's there. He's alive. He's alive. This is a living faith. He's not an incorporeal spirit. Jesus of Nazareth in the body that Mary birthed forever. God Almighty, Redeemer of all mankind. His blood. His blood. Boom! Conquered. In the word of your testimony, and they did not love their lives unto the death. Amen? Amen. This is the power of embracing the residence of God in you. This is the understanding of the temples in heaven that Jesus cleansed by His own blood. This interference, this conversation that Satan had with, with God regarding Job, oh, it taught us patience. But those kinds of conversations don't go down that way anymore. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him in His own right hand in heavenly places. Christ did not enter into temples made with hands. He entered into a temple not of this creation. He entered into heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Prince and power of the air, probably confined to the atmosphere. King of kings, Lord of glory, seated in the heavenlies, okay? So, how many parsecs you want to go that Christ is above Satan? How many light years you'll run out of? Okay? Far above all power and might and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. Okay? And gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his what? Body. Body. If you happen to be the most extraneous skin cell on the bottom of Jesus Christ's big toe, you are still far above <laughs> all principalities and powers and dominion and might. If you're seated with the resurrected one, you, by the Spirit of God, can crush his head. Amen? Amen. You are not a victim because the victor lives in you. Amen. Alive, resurrected, all in all. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Amen. Thank, you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, what you accomplished. Thank For you, us. church. For us, your people. Oh.